Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Strantz. Big day here on the show, breaking down the Jim Rutherford extension. We're live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So small things are like, congratulations to Jim Rutherford. Mm -hmm. Good to see the team nail this in terms of timing and Mm -hmm. and alignment, right? And on and on. But I I still think in terms of what we're going to be talking about and thinking about and where this club's going, not just over the next seven weeks ahead of the trade deadline, but over the next several months, we know this team's now all in. Like, no question about it. Here's how I would frame it. They're going to try to go all in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's, to me, and you know I've been on this for a long time, right? That this could be a year, and now I'm saying is a year, that's worth going all in on. There still has to be the right player out there. You can't conjure the player out of of thin air to to go and acquire, right? They're sitting on a nice stack of chips, and they've got, you know, queen-king on suit. Not necessarily the nut cards, and it'll depend what they see at the flop, but they're they're willing to be aggressive and go all in. Now – I will say, uh, and you know, we're we're gonna try to get Justin Cuthbert on the line here momentarily from the fan five ninety. But um, Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick show today, and he framed this as not necessarily reporting, but kind of. I think he said he was using circumstantial evidence to link the Canucks and Elias Lindholm, and he just basically said, "Look, they've done a deal, so there's some comfort there." He fits, and you know, with Jim Rutherford and his mo, he basically said, "I have a really hard time imagining that they wouldn't call and say, hey, what's going on with Les Lindholm? What are you thinking?'" Well, also, if you want a center, there's no other That's top it. of the lineup like that. If you want a stud center, top of the lineup, top six, no doubt about it, center. That's your that's your guy right now. Lindholm's Lindholm's basically righty Horvat. You know, like righty Horvat, not as good. In the circle, not as big, but a little bit more skilled, right? But, like, fundamentally a comparable player. And, yeah, I mean, this club could still use that, right? I mean, that's they, – they needed to monetize some of their center depth to improve their defense. But when you looked through, you know, this team's most likely playoff opponents, it's like if Dreisaitl and McDavid are split when the Canucks play mm. the Oilers, are you really you, you really comfortable with a Dreisaitl, Pew, Suter head-to-head? Yep. You know, uh, Deneau, Dubois, Kopitar against the Kings, right? Stevenson, Carlson, Eichel, assuming he's healthy, against the Golden Knights. I mean, your most likely opponents have just an embarrassment of center depth. You, you need more, no question. And who, who who else is probable to shake loose outside of Lindholm? Yeah, I know. Like, I, I don't see it with Sean Monaghan. He's just not that tier player, no, obviously. No. You know, Adam Henrique, to me, is a consolation Lo- prize. Good Adam player. Henrique. But it's obviously a different tier of player. The, the, adding Henrique is more like adding um, Antoine Vermette mm-hmm. for the Chicago Blackhawks in what was it, 2014, something like that? Twenty, yeah, 2013, 2014, as opposed to adding Doug Waite the way that you know I, I, I'm. I feel like Rutherford. That's the sort of deal where I could see Rutherford really spending. Right is like if he can add a player that he thinks can have that type of impact. I think if you're talking about Henrique, it's you know. Whatever it's not, yeah. that's not all in. I think it's worth doing, but yeah, it's not. It's not a big swing. Now, did you see the Owen Tippett goal last night? Yes, I did. Because I was thinking about this. I was actually thinking about this because uh, Jason Bruff, uh, morning show host on Sportsnet 650, noted like, when was the last time a team made this sort of leap? Well, why are you laughing at me? 
I just love. I I wonder what percentage of our listeners don't know who Jason Bruff is. <laughs> Morning show host on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> the most general way you could possibly caption it. John Hamm, morning show star. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, you know he he was noting like when was the last time we saw a team make this type of improvement? You know, without it being like a a young team leveling up, like without it being a New Jersey Devils type mm. situation where you've amassed just a ton of elite talent and then it finally congeals. And here's my answer. Here's my here's my best answer from recent history. It's my former employer. It's my former employer. In the last year of Dale Talon's regime, now these seasons, I'm going to use point percentage here, and I want everyone to note it's not because I'm being obtuse. We do have our we guest have on the line. So. Just let me quickly make the point, and then I'll ask All Cuthbert right. about it. The sorry, sorry, Cuth. The both of these seasons were shortened by the pandemic, but the Panthers basically improved in Bill Zito's first year from like a five-five point percentage team, which is you know fringe playoffs, to a seven hundred plus, which is President's Trophy winning pace. Uh, seasons were sixty-nine and, and fifty-six games long, respectively. So the point totals aren't as impressive, but I, I think it's the same thing where you find a way to support a, a, a high-end core group a lot better under new management and all of a sudden things come together quickly that team that year went all in Ben Chirot for a first and here's the tough one Owen Tippett yeah. Owen Tippett for Claude Giroux do you see that Owen Tippett goal let's bring, Cuth- let's bring Cuthbert in all right. Cuthbert did you see that Owen Tippett goal I did it was lovely wasn't it <laughs> wouldn't it be sick to watch him play with Sasha Barkov yeah I mean uh, I can't deny that uh, maybe it was a bit of a slow burn for him uh uh, but, uh, yeah, he's certainly uh, a little bit more valuable these days than Claude Giroux, and I guess we know where Claude Giroux went. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's uh, – I, like, I see your point. Like, hindsight is is, is twenty twenty, and I don't know if that was the greatest deal ever, and I get that a, a market like Florida would get pretty excited about this position that they were mm. in. Uh, but uh, and they've kind of – they've survived this, clearly. Um, but that looks like a, a pretty impressive player, and that was a hell of a goal. Jamie will vouch for me. I killed that deal the day it happened. What? The, oh, you did. That's true. Yeah, you were not, you were not a fan of the of the Claude de Giroux or the Ben Chirot deal, no. for that matter. Hated both. Uh, it is our guest, Justin Cuthbert from Fan 590 in Toronto. And, of course, Leafs Canucks tomorrow. And that's always a highlight of the schedule here in Vancouver. But, you know, preempting that a little bit for us, Jim Rutherford signs a three-year extension to remain president of Hockey Ops for the Canucks. What's your reaction? I mean, we were just discussing it. This It's so rare to see a team with this profile have this kind of dramatic turnaround. From afar, what's your reaction to, you know, not just this season, but what Jim Rutherford has done in this role so far? Yeah, it's not overly surprising given how great this Canucks season has been. But, like, you guys know way more than I do. I mean, it was it was messy getting uh-huh. this season, right? It was really, really messy. The, the Rutherford regime was not exactly uh smooth sailing and it it was maybe it just maybe it was like louder than it really needed to be uh in in certain factions but uh it just didn't feel like he was having the same effect or the desired effect or what we've accustomed or what we learned uh to grow accustomed to when it came to jim rutherford but once the pieces were slotted i suppose the way he wanted to, I mean, or with the way he wanted them, I mean, this is dramatically turned around. And for that reason, like I see some value and some reason in extending this partnership, because if this is what he wanted all along, although the path getting here was a little bumpy, uh, this looks pretty good right now. And it looks good with Rick Tockett. And I'm sure 
this is kind of what they were preparing for. Just it was it's kind of a mess getting there. It's kind of remarkable because, you know, we talk so much about culture and sports and at, at the player level, but also at the organization level. And I, I do wonder if we're going to end up looking back at this as kind of a textbook example of what happens when you have the right person in charge at the top of the organization and how that kind of trickles down, not just to the other executives, to the coaches, but all the way through the organization. And all of a sudden, you can get dramatically different results without changing the player personnel all that much because just things are so different in the organization top to bottom yeah yeah and i do think there were changes though obviously uh, you guys again know way more than uh, i do in terms of the nitty-gritty and the details here um but this is a guy who you know sort of built his legend at least with pittsburgh on being able to make those small moves being mm. able to uh, make small changes to change the entire ecosystem and it felt like there were attempts of that failed attempts of that for a while, but I think, you know, maybe the, if we're doing the trickle down, sort of that middle area was what was last addressed or what was needed to be addressed in order for this to all work because he did make some moves and some of these moves didn't work. And then all of a sudden, once the whole vision was clear, it did come together and the moves made more sense. And the moves had more of a profound impact. So uh, I, I personally lost a lot of confidence in Jim Brotherford seeing this seeing you know the first years and the first steps taken with the with the organization seem so so clumsy uh but now this is more of what we're accustomed to with one idea everyone on board everyone rowing in the same direction uh it just started to make sense and now it makes sense to to further this partnership some more yeah the it's it's an interesting one because in some ways you know when i i reflect on my evaluation of this team, and I'll, I'll have to do some serious reflecting on, on what I got wrong here. You know, I do wonder if I overfitted the dysfunction of last year onto some of the hockey moves. Like, to, to what extent does that confidence shape, do you think, the conversations we have about some of these top execs around the league? I mean, I think there is like a distinction we have to make, and maybe that's something, as, as you mentioned, you got to do some reflecting. We got to be careful about, and, and there are a lot of different factors, right? Like Jim Rutherford's, you know, an older guy who was like, is this like the last stop here? And is he able to handle like everything that goes into running a, a hockey team the way you need to? I mean, we just saw Masai Ujiri uh, speak yesterday, and, and he speaks like he should be running a Fortune 500 company, and he kind of is at the same time, but like he speaks with such confidence in his ability to bring people together, and maybe that's just not like a Jim Rutherford strong suit, and the things that he was really struggling with was managing people or, or whatever you want to call it, and just dealing with the, you know, the, the personnel issues that was going on. That was just not something he was equipped to do as cleanly as you like, but if you separate that from hockey decisions and you, and you maybe see what he was intending to do before he was able to put all the pieces together, maybe it makes more sense. And this is a hockey person who was doing a hockey job and we probably should have been focusing more on that. Like, I, I, I think there's a lot that goes into running a team, yeah. obviously. And there are, there are different factors that play into being a brilliant executive but when it just comes down to the sport when it just comes down to the the product on the ice some people are just geared to do that one thing and I don't know if this is a fair evaluation completely but I do feel like he struggled with dealing with rocky waters 
Uh, but when it comes to, hey, once we get this boat settled in the right direction, once we have uh, the ability to, you know, to, to take the path that we desired, it was a lot cleaner, right? And, and not everyone can be uh, expected to be brilliant at all things when it comes to this job. But again, if we're talking hockey, the hockey looks really good right now. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, like, I never bought the, um, like, Rutherford did, like, an hour-long press conference of almost exactly 12 months ago and, like, was taking punches and throwing them back. You know, the the stamina, like, the executive stamina side, the presentation from him, um, you know, I, I always bought that part of it. It was It was sort of more that I wasn't sure if he could help this organization get out of its own way in, in, in terms of the distractions. Anyway... In terms of, like, where are you in terms of how this team should be viewed? Should this team be viewed as a legit contender at this point? And just one more point on that. I think the yeah. one thing that, from a real outsider's perspective, was, okay, uh, autonomy, right? It's like, yeah, right. Rutherford was making mm-hmm. all those decisions for those Pittsburgh teams, and he was able to make that, you know, move for the third liner that really kind of changed the dynamic. But if he's not able to make every decision, and again, we don't really know the extent of all that, how can he do his job to his best ability? How can he relay a message to his best ability? I think that was something that was like clouding people's opinion and judgment uh, before you know this team reached this point. But on that last question, I mean, I've been kind of, I've been a little resistant to the, okay, it's going to fall back a little bit here. Like it has to, uh, numbers would suggest that, uh, you know, just uh, reasonable thinking would suggest that. Uh, but now I'm not really waiting for it anymore. Uh, I think at least uh, in the vacuum of this season, this looks like it's something that is going to last. And now I might reevaluate that in terms of next year and how, how you can continue to stack up seasons and games and this thought process and the way Rick Tockett coaches this team. Like maybe there is a shelf life on that, but I, I am done waiting for this to change, right? Like I think they are who they are and they're proving to be an elite team in the NHL, a variable Stanley Cup contender and a team that certainly can make a lot of noise uh, in the Western Conference. I think, I, I think teams – uh mainly in hockey i think can like grab a wave can catch a wave right and, and can really ride it uh for prolonged periods of time even when there is some skepticism around it and i don't know if this wave is going to last you know years but I, I feel like this wave uh is 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 going to last at least throughout the rest of the season don't know how, how far it's going to take them but in terms of their regular season play, like I'm just not at the point anymore where I'm expecting anything to really change. Justin, looking uh, to the Leafs game tomorrow, and I know they get the win in Calgary last night, but there are some recent concerns with their form and especially blowing leads once they get up in a game. And, you know, for so long now, the conversation with this Leafs team at this time of the year has been, hey, the regular season doesn't matter. Let's just see what you do in the playoffs because it's been so consistently disappointing uh, once they get there. But are there enough red flags at this point that you can't kind of skip ahead to the playoffs, right? And all of a sudden it actually does matter what you're doing in the regular season. Cause maybe the playoffs aren't the lock that, uh, that they sometimes are for this team. Yeah, I definitely think it's worth uh, being attentive to those red flags, right? Because this team in order to reach some level of optimization, which does seem pretty impossible uh, to be honest, uh, at least by the end of, to, by the end of this season uh, or to get to the playoffs, uh, you got to make moves. And, and in order for your general manager to be real confident in making those moves, 
uh, they've got to see something from the group. And really, you mentioned like, yeah, the regular season doesn't matter for this team. And unfortunately, that's kind of uh, the thing that drags them down in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Like, the the accountability on this team pretty clearly is lacking. I mean, uh, we saw the both coach and a star player this week talk about how, or just at least deflect and to put the attention on something else when this team hasn't played very well, has been giving up leads and has been showing that they're not really ready to take that next step or to get the personnel in here to make, uh, to take that next step. I mean, a coach saying he doesn't rely on his players or he doesn't know who to rely on 42 games in. I mean, that's a coach that's looking to make excuses to me rather than coach, you know, like the, the art of coaching where Rick Tockett has completely transformed this team uh, in Vancouver. I mean, he's actively coaching. And, and what bothers me about Sheldon Keefe is that he brings in players that would be a quote unquote, not dubious guys. And he puts up his hands a, a, and makes excuses about it. And, and frankly, to me, that's frustrating and reason to maybe look elsewhere. But another reason is, you know, Mitch Marner has those same comments where he's trying to build up something else, like an outside force that's working against them, when really this team, at the end of the day, I think has to look inward. And when you're constantly convinced that there's another reason for your failures, that something else is contributing to those failures, I think you let the, the your foot off the gas and you don't have the accountability needed to make required change. And I think that kind of goes into the coaching thing like when you bring in a new coach again rick tockett everyone starts at zero you have to earn the trust you Mm -hmm. have to uh you have to uh learn a new structure learn a new system become trusted in the eyes of a new head coach and sheldon keith took over at a time when things were really bad and everyone felt so comfortable underneath that coach playing for that coach and that comfortability i think has gotten this team nowhere and eventually i think that has to change I'm just not really convinced that they're going to make those changes uh, before the end of the season or even the summer. Justin, really appreciate the time as always. Thanks for doing this and uh, enjoy the Canucks and the Leafs tomorrow night on a hockey day in Canada. Always fun. Cheers, boys. That is Justin Cuthbert from the Fan 590 uh, in Toronto weighing in uh, with some fairly harsh criticism as well of where the Leafs stand uh, and the culture of accountability as he was talking about with the uh, with the Leafs right now. Yeah, they played okay. I mean, they're like the lowest tier. When I talk about, like, it's wide open, right? Like, the Leafs for me are like Dallas. <laughs> they're kind of like I the think Dal- I think Dallas is better than the Leafs. I, it's, it's so hard to look at that blue line for me and see cup contender yeah, for the Leafs. I'm, I mean, I think both teams are not real contenders. So. Yeah, I know. I know you don't like Dallas, but I, I think Dallas is in a different tier um, than the Leafs. Uh, six fifth, well, we'll see. I mean, they hey, they lost to the Leafs in, in Toronto earlier uh, in the year. Yeah, I mean, there's not a huge gap between them, right? I mean, in terms of performance. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just saying there that for me, that's like not the inner circle. When I talk mm. about the 12, that's like, you know, 10, 11, 12 in some order is like Dallas, Toronto, and I don't know, like maybe Pittsburgh, something, yeah, like, that. something like, like that. You know, it's just like whatever. Um, to me, that's an order of magnitude lower than like the Rangers, the Panthers, the Avalanche, the Jets, the, honestly, the Canucks, the Bruins. Um, how about Philly? <laughs> not ready to go there not ready to go there i just kind yet. of am i kind of am that team's sick that's incredible that team's unbelievable they're playing really well they're playing really really well they're astonishingly good it's they're, just uh i i honestly think there's almost no one if you were like a really good team and you got well certainly the canucks if you got into the playoffs and you look up and it's round one against tortorella in philadelphia especially oh. with especially with torts's history of like puncturing 
historically good teams in the first round. No, that's a nightmare matchup. That's an absolute so if, nightmare if, matchup. If, if, at the very least, they're at that tier yeah. where like yeah, no yeah, one yeah, wants yeah. to play them. Yeah, they're a hundred percent at that tier. No doubt about that. Like, um, would, wouldn't you be more comfortable? Waking up if you were an Eastern Conference team and seeing the Leafs in round one than the Flyers? Yeah, 100%. They're the Leafs. Okay, well then, what are we talking about? <laughs> but that's like a round one thing. You know what I mean? Philly's losing in round two if they do pull off that upset in round one. Maybe. But, I mean, you could say the same thing for the Leafs, that they're, they're losing in round two. You could, say that about, you could say that about any team if you want to be dismissive. Uh, by the way, the, I did... The Leafs defense, though, is like... It's not good. As, as much as we can... As much as Keefe you know, isn't, like, my favorite coach by any means and, and I think, you know, deserves a, 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 the fair share of blame along with their best players for the club's constant, you know, habit mm-hmm. <laughs> of falling well short in the playoffs. Like, that defense is a problem. And they committed 5.5 to Bertuzzi, $3 million to Max Domi, 2.4 over four years for David Camp, and then, you know, the additional... 4.15 to John Klingberg and 1.3 to Ryan Reeves. I mean, you contrast, like, that's more total cap space than it costs to bring in Cole Susie. Significantly more. Suter and Bluger. Yeah. And, like, you want to know the, the difference. The returns between, aren't even close. You want to know the difference between these two teams. It's like, just look at who spent more wisely in free yeah, agency. Yeah, or even, like, Dakota Joshua at his number versus Ryan Reeves at his number. You yeah, know well, what I mean? that was a couple years ago. No, it was, but still, you're still getting Dakota Joshua on that salary right now totally. and getting those contributions Just you know what i mean sick. yeah yeah uh great he, goal he's really night, good he's really really that was good a sick play I just wanted to mention this quickly. Don Taylor is going to join us next. Couldn't make the crossover work this week, but uh, Don Taylor graciously joining Snow us. Snow plus illness. Snow plus illness. Lots of uh, lots of things going wrong this week for the crossover, but it'll be back next week. But uh, good text came in from Brendan in the inbox, 650-650, building off your point about alignment and making this announcement now. He says, the thing I'm liking about the new Canucks is they make these moves early so that everyone is aligned and knows their role. Giving Quinn the C before camp slash giving Rutherford a contract before a huge deadline and giving him security just helps eliminate distractions and keeps everyone focused on the task at hand. I also think it puts the good sort of pressure on a team. Like, you know, I hadn't brought up the Quint making Quinn Hughes captain thing, but it would have been very easy and no one would have criticized it or bat an eyelash if this team had said, we're not going to have a captain yep. this season. We 100%. have four A's. This is our leadership group, right? And, you know, you even dangle the C with Patterson and on and on. Kind of what we were talking about, like, during the summer that might happen. I, I think to be decisive and to elevate Quinn the way they did, um, you know, guy's been reading. <laughs> guy's been, that was – what a quote from uh, Connor Garland. Unreal. But, but you know, I, I mean – there's a lot of photos like of Quinn Hughes boarding the flight, reading books about like sports leadership, right? Like this has been something he's done. He's taken this to heart. Yeah. He's grown into the role. I, you know what? That's a really smart ad. I think that put the good sort of pressure on this core group. It gave them real ownership in some ways of this team's fortune. And you're right, empowering people to do the job and saying and giving them the vote of confidence. We believe in you. We're gonna we're doing it at the right time. We're putting you in a position to succeed. Now go and show us that we're right. And he's done that. It, it, it's a marginal difference but this game is all about margins right this game is you're, you're never more than about 60 percent likely to win a game right you're never gonna outshoot a team by more than a 56 percent edge if you play for long enough especially at this level right like those margins matter no doubt about it uh keep your text coming in as mentioned don taylor bc sports hall of famer from donnie and dolly will join us next we'll get his thoughts on the jim rutherford extension coming up here on canucks talk sportsnet 650
Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 Friday edition of the show. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Janpro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. As mentioned, now joining us from Donnie and Dolly, regular contributor here on the station and our, on our show, although we couldn't do the crossover this week. He is uh, the BC Sports Hall of Famer, Don Taylor. Donnie, thank you for doing this, man. How are you today? No, no problem. Uh, no Dolly Wall today. He didn't want to come on twice. Yes. Because he was on the morning show today. And that's probably a good thing for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it would have worked out, to be fair, because when he was on the morning show, we didn't know if Jim Rutherford uh, had just signed yeah. a three-year extension. Yeah. So we do have some fresh meat to talk about and chew on here. What's your reaction to the news and also what we heard from Jim Rutherford and Francesco Aquilini at the press conference today? It's just so hard to wrap your head around, guys. And I, I you know, I went a little talk show hosty today and, and talked about how, you know, Jim Rutherford's done a great job of building on on the foundation that Jim Benning that Jim Benning built. But in all, in all seriousness, and then there's some. Come some, on, you did not. Yes, I did. You kept I it did. to a thank you, Jim. Well, I was I, I was thinking of you at all times, Thomas. I let's let's go around here. Let's go around here. Sure. Uh, well, okay. So, how let, much let me credit say, do you get for drafting in the top ten, man? Well, he he did Jake. a good job of getting in the top ten. How about that? <laughs> Look, oh, no, no disagreement here. The JT Miller trade, yeah. the JT Miller trade, home run, a big yeah. win. So I'll just say yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, but let me ask you guys this. this part was... of it was tongue in cheek. I'm trying to get, like I say, I was being talk show hosty, <laughs> trying to get, get trying to get things going, which you guys do all the time, and it's accepted in our industry. No, no, they, no they, idea. They, what you're by all the listeners and, and viewers, but you tell me this: do you, think, do you think Jim Rutherford would have come to Vancouver if he didn't believe in that foundation of those? Let's say, the, let's go with the five players that are going to the All Star game all of whom were acquired by Jim Benning, there's got to be at least, at least he's got to get some of the credit. I'm not saying all of the credit. He deserved to be let go. I get all that. But that foundation isn't bad. Unfortunately, he didn't do the job that Rutherford and Alvin have done of building around it, right? I mean, Thomas, to say the least. No, I just think, you know, like, are we going to throw the Connor Garland trade in? Connor Garland's big part of this team acquired by Jim Benning. No, the uh the the fa- the, the, the fact is yeah. is uh the fact is is for me anyway, you know, Rutherford and Alvin may have inherited a talented core, but I I, I mean yeah. those pieces were not combining to win games. And they weren't combining to win games because every time they took a breather, this team was getting outscored by a massive amount. I mean, four new defensemen, right? Just a ton of bets that this group's had to had to place that have panned out for this team to level up. Backup goalie, uh, uh, you know, exercising the largest buyout in in franchise history to undo or not franchise history, NHL history to under uh, to undo a trade that was a, a disaster. I mean, 
you know, Jim Benning identified some talent, no question about it. I, I, I think there's no debate about that, but there's no question that he never could have gotten this done based on, you know, a, a large sample, like an eight-year sample of, of evidence. You're right, and 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 in all all seriousness, I get where you're, I get where you're coming from, and most of the you know most of the population, most of Canuck Nation are, are coming from. I, I think guys just with, with me, and he deserves this three year contract extension. Yep. It's just for a lot of us, especially those of us who've been uh, around for a long time, and I go back to 1970 with this team as a fan. It just happened so quick. Yeah. I mean, when, when was Boudreau let go? The the twenty second of January. That was the twenty first. Was the day that the, the tears were shed on the bench. And I don't mean to poke fun at anybody there. And the next day it was officially he was gone. So we're talking less than a year. It just happened so quickly. And let's not forget, last year didn't end great. You know that even you know when Tockett came in, it was there were signs that things were going to get better. Just that things have happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. Old guys like me are going what. That is number one in the NHL. What, what, what are you talking about? This can't happen. So I think there's, there's that a lot of it is that it's just the disbelief yes. that this has happened so quickly, and it really seems real. And and to, you know what, I, Thomas? I think I'm not sure who it was. It was Kevin Woodley who got this quote. But uh, Turnier yesterday, head coach of the Coyotes, and this happened with DeBoer from your favorite team, the Dallas Stars. Uh, he went on record yesterday saying that's the best team we've played. I'm paraphrasing, but it's the, it, that's the best team we've played this year. They play with speed. They play with edge. And, and he was talking mostly about the first period, and he was just so impressed. And you just don't get that from opposition coaches. You certainly haven't got that a lot from opposition head coaches in Vancouver since 1970. But I think that says a lot. People are doing things and saying things about this team that you never saw before. So it's just your head spinning with how quickly it's happened. So just on the on the Jim Benning point, Donnie, not to not to belabor it here, but since you know Francesco Aquilini was dropping comparisons to 2010 and 2011, and I remember, and I'm sure you do as well, a lot of people during those days talking about Mike Gillis and saying, "Oh, he inherit he inherited the Sedins and Luongo and Kessler and Bieksa and Edler," and that's fair. But then you look at the moves he made working under the salary cap to build out those teams around the edges and Hamhus and Malhotra and the Airhoff trade, right? Finding those kind of unexpected values and how important that was and I think there's a similar dynamic here yeah of course it helps to have an inherited Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and JT Miller but the work he did just this summer bringing in these key contributors on cheap deals that's the kind of thing you have to be able to do and I, like we never saw anything close to that uh, a type of efficiency from Jim Benning and I think that's the art of today's general manager in the National Hockey League you know I think a lot of general managers you have seen this here recently they they can manage to uh, put together a team that will finish in the bottom 10 and dra- draft high <laughs> and you'll probably get a pretty good player but it's the what you do working around the edges and you know mike gillis did a really good job of that and you know one player nobody ever talks about from that era is mikhail samuelson mm-hmm. that was a great move by by mike gillis back in the day you mentioned airhoff which was brilliant and you know what he gave up uh, to get Airhoff for basically nothing. From the, they, they they unloaded Patrick White. That helped them get Airhoff. That was a great <laughs> move. So work, working arguably the worst pick in, in Canucks history, and I say that with love, Dave Notice and, and all that. But but that's what that's what Alvin 
and Rutherford have been able to do is work around those edges really effectively and bolstering that core, no matter who put it together. But I heard you guys talking earlier. We can say all we want about the player acquisitions, and they've been really, really strong. But Rick Talk is the yes. key, and, and that, that's, yeah. that's the best move that those two made. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where if you were banging the table saying Burke and Nonis deserve credit in 2011, you probably should be giving Jim Benning credit now for uh, consistency's sake. It's just I've never bought either argument. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of that's kind of my, my view is cap era. It's so complicated. You should be judged on the team you put together, not the individual players acquired, especially when those players are, are typically acquired at the top of the draft. No, I, I, I agree. And then, like I said, a lot of what I said today was, what was tongue-in-cheek, and I wanted to get the boys upset at me and, you know, it's a, you know <laughs> doing my job to, to some extent. Mix it and, up. You know, a lot of it, too, is like I, mean, I, I covered as a reporter in the room, Jim Benning is a player, so I always have just been the nicest guy in the world. So, yeah, you know, fair enough. I, 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 you know, and I know you would agree with that, Thomas, yep. but – and, and that's the way he was as a player, not just as a, a GM. And so that, but that 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 plays into part of it. He did put together the foundation, or you know, like it might have been haphazardly, but he did. But it's 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 building around the edges. It seems that those are the guys that have the success, and certainly seems like Alvin and Rutherford are, are built that way as well, as long as as well as Mike Gillis. What do you think of the dynamic between owner and president today? Because I, you know, I sort of thought that there was a, a pretty stark distinction between Rutherford's cold realism and Francesco's sort of giddy, fan-facing excitement uh, about where his team is at. And and honestly, I thought that made him come off very well, the, the Canucks yeah. owner, as opposed to some of the, you know, more like executive speak polish that he's shown in, in uh, availabilities in the past. Yeah, too, too rehearsed in the past. You're right, Thomas. That's the best he's come across today. He, and, and, you know, maybe it has to do with the situation his team's in. I just wish Rutherford would have advised Aquilini on how to button up a shirt properly as though it's not 1978. <laughs> they, 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 I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know Donnie. how many I counted there, but Donnie, that. come on. We're all, we're all guys, right? Like, at the age of 25, we pick a style, a favorite type of music, <laughs> Right, yeah. uh, our friends, and we never yeah. change from where where we're at at twenty five. Like that's the rule, and so yeah. you know, Francesco was roughly twenty five <laughs> in the seventies. Makes sense to me. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll give him that. I, I know we, he grew up approximately where I did, so there were a lot of people dressing that way uh, back 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 in the day. I get that, but you know what really came across is like um, I, I I think because Jim Rutherford signed a three year extension. He went out of his way to thank Francesco and the family, and I get it. It's about money. My guess is Jim Rutherford is fairly well off, and he's, you know, he's, what, 74 years old. I don't think he needs this. Mm. So what came across for me today is that all that talk about Francesco Aquilini meddling, I, I, I didn't get any sense of that today at all. And I don't think Jim Rutherford would, would hang around. He'd be like, screw this. I don't need this. And maybe maybe Francesco, maybe that's where the giddiness comes in. Maybe he's seen the light and realizes that this is the way to go and let an old salty dog like Jim Rutherford 
who has a great resume, let him know, let him run the ship. And hey, guess what? Things are really, really uh, working out. So there was a lot of positivity today, as you'd expect by just looking at the standings. Yeah, the only yeah. the only hint of meddling we got today was the idea of meddling with a charcuterie board. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you don't want to do that. I like my charcuterie <laughs> board. Don't meddle with those things. Nothing like a good charcuterie board, man. Oh, man, if you put, put a charcuterie board in front of me, I will meddle. Let me tell you. Oh, well, here's, here's, my take on, here's my take on charcuterie board. Speaking of growing up in the 70s and 80s, back in the day, my mom and dad would have people over. They'd, put, they'd slice Ukrainian sausage, cheddar cheese, mm. and some premium plus crackers on a plate, and people loved it. Yeah. Now you put, you put those same things on a piece of wood, and it costs $55. <laughs> what happened? Hey, you know, Donnie, all this time I've thought the crossover was unhinged because of me and Rick, but now I realize <laughs> you're, you might be the instigator. This is elite content right here. <laughs> I feed Rick all his lines. Yeah. I, I, I did laugh when you said you were you were uh, trotting out the Jim Betting takes to get the, the boys on your show fired up, as as if it yeah. takes a lot to get Dolly Wall fired up. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, well, that's that's what happens when he actually listens. He gets fired up. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so lots uh, lots of other tidbits here to dig into from uh, what we heard from, from Jim Rutherford and, and Francesco Acolino. And I got to say, from our perspective in the media, you know, one of the best things about Jim Rutherford signing this three-year extension is he shoots from the hip and he lets you know what he's thinking. And did it catch your attention as well when he said that, you know, he has a lot of confidence that Andre Kuzmenko is going to score goals, whether it's here in Vancouver or another NHL city at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, it caught my attention when he said he's going to score a lot of goals in Vancouver, but that was enough because it's clearly it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But when he mentioned another city, it, it was like, was that another whoops by Jim Rutherford? Because you know, you know what it's like. We're gonna we're gonna take that and run with it as though you know it's gonna he's gonna be uh, out of town uh, tomorrow. Um, yeah, he, he, I think Jim Rutherford w- was honest to a fault when he first joined the Canucks organization, and we got a little hint of that with that quote today. It was uh, something we'll, <laughs> you know, we're all going to use for a long, long time. But yeah, interesting. I, I said this a long time ago when Alex Edler was having his problems with the Canucks, where he was getting booed and. I don't, arguably, I mean, Quinn Hughes fans will have something to say about this, and I agree with them, but, you know, he's going to go into the ring of honor, and he managed to turn his game around, but there was a time where I swear to God, every time he got the puck, you could see the gears turning on the side of his helmet, like he was thinking way too much, and I I get that sense with Andre Kuzmenko. Unlike Edler, though, I don't think Kuzmenko's going to stick around all that long, and you look at his contract, you you can say that very easily. It's just... I just think he's overthinking the game, uh, and I don't know if he's not respecting Rick Tockett, but it just just it just does not look right now. And maybe the only thing that doesn't look right, and if if people think he's being treated unfairly, I refer back to somebody you were talking about ten, twelve minutes ago, and that's Dakota Joshua, who is who was definitely in the doghouse at the beginning of the year because mm. of conditioning, whatever the reason was. He clearly wasn't a favor to Rick Tockett, and he's managed to listen and learn and turn his game around. He's got a career-high 12 goals, so that tough love can work. It worked with Dakota Joshua, so anybody who thinks that Kuzmenko's being unfairly picked on might want to look at big number 81 and see that that sort of approach can really work. What did you make 
of Rutherford's commentary regarding Elias Pettersson and Francesco jumping in to, you know, assure the fans from an ownership perspective that they would love to have that deal done quickly. Well, I, I, I got to believe what they're saying. Just looking at, you know, what Pedersen has been up to pretty much all this season, I think they definitely uh, want to see him sign and will say anything that makes him sign sooner than later because, guys, if he has another 100-plus point season and they go deep in the playoffs, and I think that's what Elias is, is banking on and his agent, J.P. Barry, I think that's what they're banking on. Lord knows what he can command at that point. So, yeah, I'm sure the Canucks will say whatever they can to get his name on the dotted line sooner rather than later. Because if things end up the way we think they're going to end up, given the way they've started the season or the way they've played this season, that's going to be very, very expensive. And, uh, you know, our, our media colleague Farhan Lalji, uh, who, by the way, was mostly responsible for the negative opinion of Edler in this market. He'll <laughs> <laughs> play Farhan, yes. He'll love that if he's listening. Um, says, uh, brought up Pedersen's contract to the player. Wait until the end of the year was the response uh, per his Twitter feed. What's your reaction to that? Are you worried sorry, at all? Yeah. Are you getting worried at this point, Donnie? Well, sorry, uh, I lost you for a second there. Give me the yep. question again. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Pedersen asked about the contract status per Farhan Lalji. Wait until the end of the year is the player's response. Are, are you getting nervous at this point about the Pedersen situation, Donnie? He is such a hard read, isn't he? Like I have oh, yeah. no, yeah. I, I have no. He, he would make it a tremendous In, negotiator. Infinite jest. Hard yeah, read. It, it just it, and you know, it, there's just zero indication as to even with the boat interview in Stockholm. The as boat animated, interview. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, and that was that's as animated as we saw him, and in the you know scale of animation, I don't know, that was at a 3 out of 10 versus the rest of uh, the human race. Like, I, I, it just, it's just such a hard read. I, I don't know. But, yeah, if I'm, a Canuck, if I'm a Canuck fan, I would be worried just given that he's so emotionless when you see. You just think that maybe he's got no emotions when it comes to the city of Vancouver and could care less about it. That's the way it comes across. But, guys, let's talk about on the ice, what he's doing from a personal point of view being able to play some great players around his age. I think he wants to see this thing through. And where is he going to go, you know, especially the way things have gone this season, and he's a major reason why it's gone that way, but is he, is he, sure, is he sure that he's going to go somewhere where it's going to be as good or better? And i, I got to think that's part of what, he, what he's thinking. I mean, maybe it goes, takes a left turn somewhere down the road here. I'm not sure. But I think that's what should give Canuck fans some confidence, as scared as they might be feeling right now, is that it, does he, is he sure he's going to go to a better situation somewhere else? Uh, I, I, I'm, I can't believe the answer would, would be yes. So there, there's some confidence for Canuck fans there. Uh, Donnie, this was fantastic. Thank you for making time for us. We'll, we'll get back to the crossover with you and Dolly Wall uh, next no, don't week. Don't forget Dolly Wall. Don't worry about it. We don't need him. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. This was really good. I'm going to have to stop and pick up some uh, salami and sausage. Yeah. Some, some, some salami and yeah. salted tops yeah. on the way home. Yeah. Kibasa well, and Ritz crackers. Hey, hey, listen, i got to speak to my heritage. I said Ukrainian sausage. None of this salami. Ukrainian sausage, cheddar cheese, Premium plus salted tops. There you go on a, on an old school plate. How does uh it, does Ukrainian sausage differ from what I'd call kobasa? 
Donnie? No, it's the same thing. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm just, my heritage is Polish, so. You know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Don Taylor charcuterie board still, right there. I still go, I still go like pre-order and get an order of kibasa from uh, Oyama yeah. before Christmas every year, no matter what. And then I like put it out and all my family's vegetarian and like no one eats it except me. <laughs> I forgot, I forgot. Uh, Bix pickles too. Yeah. Very old school. Oh, oh yeah. let's go. A little bit of mustard. Mm. <laughs> Some French's mustard on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I, I, uh, dude, if anyone rolled that out for me at a at a, oh, at a job interview, Smash I'd it. hire them on the spot. Oh. Yeah. Smash it. All right, Donnie, uh, we appreciate it, man. Have a great weekend. Any, anytime, guys. That is Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly, and of course, uh, BC Sports Hall of Famer. And uh, what a hit. What a hit from, from Donnie. One of the best hits we've ever done. And by the way, I credit Jim Benning. Yeah, really. I was like, this is not <laughs> where I expected this to go right off the bat. Well, and I was Relitigating like, the Jim Benning legacy. I might as well have just like snapped yeah, all my yeah. knuckles. I was like, oh, oh, really? Donnie, you chose violence. Is that where today. we're going? Huh? Is that where we're going? <laughs> it's funny because, at least in the. Gillis example and I like I think Gillis deserves a ton of credit for putting those teams together but it's not as if the team was a disaster before he arrived right like that's what this team was before Jim Rutherford yeah there were as you said there were major questions about can these this core of players be good together yeah there there, those questions didn't exist about the Sedins and Luongo well, they didn't. Now ex- they're up the upside of the Sedins, but it was a completely different. Like that team had been to the playoffs. Now, the, one of the last three years. Mm-hmm. Still, they, it mean, was a completely different situation. It, I think. I I agree with you, but I still think I, I agree with you. But I think you're overselling. Like one thing, how that's, good that team was. One thing that's been said about the the like. Credit, how much credit does the Gillis regime get? Is like that that the t- that team's rise was inevitable, and it wasn't. No more than this team's was. No, I'm not saying it's, it was inevitable, yeah. but you're starting from a stronger position. I think, if not in terms yes. of raw talent, then at least in what there was with the players that were already I, under contract. I agree with you that they were starting from a stronger position, but I'd add this: starting they were starting from a stronger position in terms of the team's quality but also dealing with a shorter window because of the age of most of those teams' best players. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, and that's right. And in, at, in, at any rate, like especially— in some, ways, in some ways, what Rutherford took over was higher upside. I can, see, I can see that argument because yeah. of Pedersen and Hughes and the age right. of them, for sure. It's still different than when you have like no track record of having— almost no track record of having successful seasons together as a team, right? For sure. I will say, though, in general, whether you're talking about Rutherford taking over and inheriting, you know, Patterson and Hughes, et cetera, whether you're talking about Gillis, especially in the salary cap era, don't discount being able to fill out a team around the margins and raise the ceiling of the team. Like, that's a really, really hard skill. Just because you're not adding the all-star piece or, you know, the first-line center to the team, the idea that, therefore, you don't really deserve credit for it, it's like, no, we've seen how hard it is, not just here at Vancouver, we were talking about the Leafs, how hard it is to find those quality complementary players. That's really, really difficult to do. That's a major skill. Like, saying that's what a GM is doing and that's his major contribution, that's not a slight to the GM or the executive. That's hard to do, and it's an incredibly important skill. It's, in fact, the single most important thing if you're going to win in this era of the NHL. By the way, charcuterie boards are just Lunchables for grown-ups, suggests Colin from the Caribou, who then adds, now I'm craving a Lunchables board. I I got halfway through, and I was like, is that supposed to make me not like them? (laughs) Because you're doing a terrible job (laughs) of convincing me not to eat a charcuterie board. 
Uh, this one says, uh, let's hear some more Canucks media charcuterie boards, please. I was going to say, like, if we published a Canucks media cookbook, we know what Donnie's entry would be. The Don Taylor charcuterie board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, and, like, you know that my charcuterie board would be, like, all bitter flavors <laughs> and, and everything would be, like, high-end to a point that it's, like, you know, I- inaccessible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's off-putting and unpleasant. It's like it's either too spicy to eat or, or, or too salty. Kids would hate it. All right, we will uh, take a break. Possibly talk more about charcuterie boards. Who can say? Too spicy. I hear that a lot. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, from my kids. I tell my niece and nephew that whenever I'm eating something I don't want to share. You know, it's good. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good tactic. It's too spicy. We're training my five-year-old, like gradually introducing spice to her, and it's working. I got to say, she's she's taking some steps forward. So that's exciting to see. Uh, we might talk more charcuterie board, but there are some good texts and questions coming in about the dynamic now with Jim Rutherford signing the extension and whether it changes things with Elias Pettersson, how much, how it might change things. So I want to dive into that side of things. We'll get to some of the odds and ends uh, we haven't hit from the Jim Rutherford and Francesco Aquilini presser as well. Jan Pro, the leader in commercial cleaning, keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting Jan Pro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. Final segment of Canucks Talk. Up next here, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Happy Friday afternoon to everyone. Final segment of the show here today. Uh, we are live from the Kintech Studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Calm. Uh, lots of people asking about a draft today, and I should note, Dimitri not on the show. Of course, this is his normal uh, time slot. I believe he's a little under the weather, so no Dimitri too bad. today. It is too bad. Yeah. I mean, well, no, of course it's too bad that our, our good pal is sick, but it's too bad because drafting a charcuterie board is such a layup. I know, right? And people are texting in. It's like, oh, great, you guys found the, the draft. It's like, wow, that would have been good. Would have been perfect, but unfortunately, no Dimitri today. Uh, it's always sad for me because uh, obviously love chatting with uh, with Dim, but I do have like a Pavlovian reaction to sitting down with him because it means we're only half an hour away from the reaction from the weekend. So I like, of course, I like Dimitri anyways, but I'm like ex- always extra excited to see him on our show because it reminds me that it's the weekend. So tough break for me in particular. Uh, by the way, somebody texted it in. Not sure you caught this. I did catch this. He says, not sure you caught this, but Shorty told the world he'd made you cookies on the broadcast last last night. Also, he card- called your show the Canucks Hour, which seemed like a slight. I don't think that was an intentional slight from That's Shorty. what we used to be called. It used to be in the first uh, year of the show. It was only an hour long, so it was Canucks Hour. So Shorty just showing that he's a, an OG day an one OG, listener. 100%. 100%. But I did pick that up, yes, that he, uh, he got the name of the show wrong. Yeah, also... So so before I was sick, right? Before I was out sick. Oh yeah. Um I was supposed to grab the cookies originally from Shorty at the rink, at the rink yeah. and bring them to the studio for both of us to enjoy. I didn't get to enjoy one by the way. You didn't save me any, did you? No, I did. They're just at my house. 
I meant to bring them today. Sorry. That's useless. I, I meant to bring the tin back today, but I did not. Sorry. I forgot. That's fine. You can just... It's on me. I'll, I'll just... You just give me your address. I'll, I'll show up. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the... So, you know, when I'm sick, when I'm out sick, right, it's a lot, right? Like, especially on a, on a Thursday where we have crossover, it's like, mm. I let Dolly know. I let my editors at The Athletic know. I had to put in a formal request and on and on. Then I call, then I let you know. Then I call Canberra. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I, I literally have to call in sick to two jobs and say, like, hey, sorry, can we reschedule to a variety of commitments? So I make all these phone calls and I forget to tell Shorty. And Shorty calls me and he's like, I'm on my way to the rink. Are you going to be there? And I'm like, oh, man, you're the only person I forgot to tell. <laughs> And then he was like, fine, I'll go to the studio. And I got to say, Shorty, dedication to getting those cookies to us, driving to the studio after his stop at the rink. So shout out what to beauty. John Shorty. And what a beauty. It at, during the game. I was going to say, yeah, and he mentioned it during the game as well. So he wanted the world to know. Uh, and no, why not? They were delicious cookies as well, I have to say. All right, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And some of these texts came in early on in the show when we were really breaking down the Jim Rutherford extension and some of his comments from the press conference at Rogers Arena today. This one from Ian and Coquitlam. Question, are you surprised that Rutherford's extension got done before Pedersen's? Does this make re-signing PD easier? Another one comes in from uh, Whopperman, the x-ray guy, who says, do you think that PD might have been waiting for some front office stability? And that question in general, right, taking kind of all of those points and questions as one, is how... Does this change the dynamic, if at all? Now, I will say... The, you're you're going to drive yourself crazy trying hold to on. figure this out. The first question from Ian Coquillum, who says, are you surprised that Rutherford's extension got done before Patterson's? As of like today, no. Coming into the season, I would have been surprised. Yeah, yeah. It, but this the volume of winning and the volume of good stuff outweighed that. But if you had told me in September, I would have said, well, they, like I would expect it to go Patterson signs, then the front office resigns. For me, the test was never playoffs or, or anything like this. I wrote this in the summer. Like, in August, I had this column. The test of this season for Canucks management wasn't, to me, about being first in the NHL by total points 42 games in. It mm -hmm. wasn't about making the playoffs. It certainly wasn't about winning the division or home ice advantage because I didn't imagine those as realistic possibilities. Excuse me. The thing that it was about was, at the end of the year, could we see a path to this team actually contending? Right. Not only can we see that path, we, mm -hmm. we kind of see it now. Yeah, no, it's here. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, honestly, given that I think the Pedersen deal is the most important piece of business for this franchise and have been saying that for what? I mean, 12 months at least. Mm -hmm. Dating like well before the summer, we were talking about, you know, the Pedersen deals, everything. This is the highest priority. Um topic for the team this offseason you know I, I think I wrote like a Canucks checklist for the offseason it was number one um you know if the results weren't this spectacular I think it could be a talking point but but you know what this team has accomplished over the course of this year and the decisions that they've made to get there I think put you in a spot where regardless of how the Pedersen thing plays out you know you'd feel more comfortable with this guy at the helm of of what comes next than anyone else. And somebody texted in, in fact, um, right before we got on air, signing Rutherford to an extension is more important to me than signing EP40. At least he will not panic and do the right thing if EP40 decides to walk. And it's an interesting point. I don't know if I would say more important, but, you know, we were talking about 
how crucial it is to have that alignment and have all the incentives lined up in the right way going into the trade deadline. And I think that's especially it's even more true when you're dealing with a, a really high stakes situation and kind of one with a lot of murkiness and uncertainty like the Elias Pettersson thing. Right. You don't want there to be any questions whatsoever about who's going to be in charge or what their job security is. You want Jim Rutherford to be free to focus in on the dynamics of that scenario. So whether it's, you know, because you would want him to be in charge, even if Pettersson leaves or whatever. But I think you put yourself in a much better position to negotiate and deal with however the Patterson situation plays out now that you have Jim Rutherford signed to an extension, right? Like that strengthens your hand, both in terms of trying to keep Patterson, I think, but also just dealing with whatever happens uh, in some pretty complex and pretty interesting negotiations between the player and the team. Yeah. I mean, my guess is it has no impact. My guess is it has no impact. Today's news does. Yeah, has- I certainly don't think it was like Elias Patterson. Like, oh, I, let's see if Jim Rutherford and Patrick Ovine are going to be here. Then I'll make my decision. Yeah. The thing to note, too, is like not that general managers and star players don't have a relationship, but it's not a day to day relationship. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the GM or the president goes on some trips, but not all of them. Um, You come in in the morning and if you're talking to your general manager beyond small talk. You know, at the at the like the team buffet, um, there's a problem, typically. You know, like it's a coach, a head coach in an NHL environment's like a metronome. Like the day to day schedule is set by them. They're like, duk, duk, duk. they set the the tone and the rhythm, and and the coach of the team has a huge impact on what life is like for players and and support staff. Who the GM is only occasionally. Like, you know, they make decisions, they inform your agent about news, Mm -hmm. they might cut you, they might trade you, you definitely are doing a deal with them, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more removed. Um, Not that this has no impact, but I wouldn't, I'd be surprised if it was like a a factor, frankly, in any way. I think it just, I think it strengthens the team's position, right? It gives them the confidence to, to navigate the situation more than it increases the likelihood one way or another of... Uh, Elias Pettersson resigning. At least that would be my read, right? It's just, hey, we we we're all aligned here. At least we're not trying to deal with that while also trying to figure out who's going to be running hockey ops. Like that is a really nightmare situation. And uh, by getting this extension done, they avoid uh, that from playing out. Um, one other thing I did want to bring up and just throw th- throw by you quickly was the repeated subject. It comes up, you know, every time pretty much Jim Rutherford talks to the media, and this time Francesco Accolini was asked about it as well, the practice rink, practice facility topic. And, you know, I, I believe the quote from uh, from Francesco Accolini, we've got a few practice facility sites identified. We're making a lot of good progress, just a matter of time. But he also says, look, it's going to take time, but we're going to get there. Did this answer, update, whatever, feel in any way different from some of the other ones that we've gotten over, you know, the last couple of years with Jim Rutherford here? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, it's such a complicated one. The team needs to figure out so many different things. They've missed so many opportunities to do smart stuff in and around the arena. Land is at such a premium. Mm-hmm. Um, eh, like... Dating back to the team telling Chris Tanev during his recruitment, right, that they'd have a practice facility, it's hard for me to get too excited about yeah. any update, non-update. Well, like, I said, yeah, before you joined the show, I said, like, 
I'll believe it when I see it. And that sounds as if I think it's never going to happen, which is not what I mean, but it's just until there's like- We need to see it. Until there's plans on a on a placard at the conference. You know what I mean? And this is the plot of land and we've signed the agreement. It, it feels like it's just still kind of up in the air. I moved to Vancouver in 2019 after leaving Florida, September 2019, okay? Three weeks ago, the Florida Panthers held their first practice- at the new facility at the War Memorial. The War Memorial was a project I worked on with, like, lobbyists and, like, Mm. announcements and stuff. Like, we announced that plan when I was there. It was one of my big projects in my final six months there. was, like, we're, you know, working with the city council and, you know, uh, getting all the renderings out to media and stuff. Like, that was a project that I shepherded. And it just held its first NHL practice three weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's complicated. Like just to just to give you a sense, like we're not even at the point we of rendering. We're not even at the point of a locate. I mean, we yeah. are years away. Yeah, forget shovels in the ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like years. deciding on the location still. So you know, just to, I, I just bring that up as like context for people who may not have a good sense of the scale of the project and the timeline in question. D- does it? Like, I'm glad it's on the radar, but we are years away from this impacting life for the Canucks. I also, I will also say, although I do think even, you're right that we're years away from it impacting the day-to-day life, but getting an agreement would be huge. Huge. And getting that process, getting that ball rolling would be massive. And having an agreement on something that's actually workable, right? Like, you want to be close to the game rink and or the airport. That's tough. That, like, (laughs) strip of Camby, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Between, like, Camby and Granville. Um, you know, stretching from the bridges right down to down to the airport, like that's pricey. There's not a lot of not, space you can. Not think a of. lot of empty tracts of land along that corridor. Or, 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 yeah, and if there are, they're extremely prohibitive in terms of cost. I mean, it's a hugely complicated effort. We'll see. By the way, I should point out uh, Farhan Lalji tweeting earlier in the day he says rutherford tells me an extension on alvin is close at hand should happen within the next week also says they are close to an agreement on a location for a new practice facility so a little extra uh detail there from farhan on the practice facility and no surprise i mean i was wondering even when this was uh, when this was announced today the press conference if it would be extensions for jim rutherford and patrick alvin at the same time announced but no surprise obviously with rutherford hiring alvin and the working relationship they have going back to pittsburgh that one of rutherford's first orders of business with a new contract in hand would be to do the same for patrick alvin so stay tuned uh for that announcement maybe sometime next week according to farhan lalji uh 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line and this one comes in and of course we've been talking about it a lot and now with the extension in hand with the team continuing to win with Elliot Friedman reporting this team believes they can win you know the commentary we heard from the owner all of it we're just going to keep talking about them making a big move at the deadline this text comes in Jamie is there a bridge too far when it comes to buying this year or are you thinking they should be in on the bidding wars emptying the chambers whatever it takes to find an upgrade here or there there is of course there's a bridge too too far of course there is Here's what I'd say. But uh, what I'll say is this. The idea that the bridge too far, don't I don't look at it as Willander or LeCaramacchi is a bridge too far. No. Because you can't make that decision without knowing what the return is. Correct. So don't do that just for the sake of getting a marginal upgrade on your third pair. Of course not, right? you gotta, you got to have some sense there. But if the type of player 
who's worth, uh, you know, who would demand a return like that is available, then I don't think it is a bridge too far. This is where we bump into problems, right? Like, if you're telling me it's Lindholm or Gensel, like, good, those are top of the lineup pieces. Those aren't star players. Not like superstar players. No. You know? I think they're stars. They're not superstars. Are they? Yes. Jake Gensel is like a multiple-time 40-goal scorer. Okay. Who's Has he ever been the best player on his line? No, but he also plays with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Sure, but I'm just saying, like, the, the no NHL team has ever put on their marquee Gensel versus Lindholm. I'm just saying, like, you know, we're talking about Rutherford's MO. Well, Phil Kessel was a marquee name. Mm-hmm. Doug Waite was a marquee name. I mean, there, the, there's a his biggest acquisitions are were for leading to Stanley Cup wins. Were for a player of a caliber that's different than this. Fair or not fair? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Like you know, Lindholm's. I I love Lindholm as a two way player. Right, he scored forty goals a couple of years ago when he was uh, the center on a line yep. with Kachuk and Gaudreau. That was one of the best lines we've seen in the last six years. Like top five line in the last six years. That line in that 21-22 season was spectacular. He has eight goals this year. Oh, yeah, he's declined. There's no doubt about that. Well, I mean, not he's not playing fault. with Kachuk and Gaudreau. I don't think it's his fault. I think he's still playing well, but, you know, and, and he's sick in the bumper. I mean, that's, like, you want a guy made to play the bumper as a righty. And, uh, you know, Besser's done a fantastic job, but Besser's so versatile he can play anywhere. That's what's that's what's made him so important to this power play. Um, You know, I... Look, I mean, I, I think he's a great player. I think he'd be a great fit. I, I don't know if the piece to justify a Volander or LaCaramacchi type deal is out there. Like, mm. I don't know that that player is available. And I think if they are, you know, I, I, then then there's no price that I think you take off the table. But I don't think you want to trade... Lakaramaki, your ver- your hopefully your version of Owen Tippett for aging guy. Yeah, for a rental. Yeah, and because here's the thing, I really like Lindholm. I think he would be a fantastic fit. I also do not want to sign him to his next contract, and I don't even mean like oh because of the Canucks salary cap situation. I don't think his next con- next contract is going to age well, given the market for centers, given you know the where his play is at right now, all of those things, his age. I, I would I love him as a rental. I don't want to sign that next deal, right? So if you're going out and acquiring him, you have to look at it, I think, as a pure rental, and that has to affect the price that you're willing to pay as well. I do think it's worth pointing out here, uh, and I know Rick Dollywall was on with Halford and Bruff earlier today and talking about you know the names and the targets and all of those things, and one of the points that Rick Dollywall made was – you know, what do we do when we try to think of guys who could be available at the deadline, right? You go look at the teams outside of the playoff race or at the very least kind of hanging on to the fringes of the playoff race and you look at their UFAs. Maybe guys with one year left after this one. And you say, okay, of these guys, who's going to be available, right? And that's how we end up with, you know, Lindholm and Tanev uh, from the uh, from the Flames. You know, Jake Gensel's a pending UFA. Rick Dollywell made the point that those aren't actually the only deals you can make, right? You can go after guys with term, maybe guys even from good teams that don't think they're going to be a, a an all-in team this year. They might become available. And, you know, when the Canucks made the Philip Ronick deal, that wasn't a name that was on our radar. Now, it's a very, very different situation, obviously, right, with a team that's uh, trying to go on a cup run this year. 
But I do think it's worth just thinking about we can kind of broaden our, our horizons a little bit in terms of who might be available in terms in, in terms of who the Canucks might be targeting. Because, you know, your point about the desire to add a star for Jim Rutherford, like I don't think he's going to be limited to, well, there's no pending UFAs from bad teams that I really like. Like I'm sure he's going to turn over a lot more rocks than that yeah. trying to find that star player. Well, that, and, and that's why like something like Middlestat to me is interesting. Yes. Right? Who – Team's going to sell. They've invested a lot into a bunch of young players. Uh, he's played well as like a complimentary piece, um, you know, for for this Sabres team. Maybe the Canucks don't think they can get more out of him in a more structured environment. But, um, you know, he's also fits that mold of maybe his value is, is a little lower than it might be because he's arbitration eligible. Yep. And we've seen that this team's not scared of that. Yeah. Right. And then you're looking at maybe a longer term fit if it works. Um, to me, that's the sort of deal that I'd be more interested in seeing this team chase. By a lot. By a lot. And and I think if there was the right type of guy who shakes loose, and it could be Gensel. Like, Gensel's not, Gensel's not the sort of guy that I think is, like, a bad bet by any means. I want to be so, so clear about that. Because I think, you know, absolute playoff warrior. Uh, but but more in the Mark Recchi mold. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, more, more the second, you know. I just think if you're getting a piece like that, you absolutely cannot be giving up a Volander or a LeCaramacchi to me. For a non-star rental. For a non-superstar like rental. Correct. I, I get that. That's fair. Now, yeah, I don't think he, I was going to say would I be tempted in Lindholm's case, but I don't think I even would because no. it would be a pure rental. As much as I think Lindholm would be a phenomenal, phenomenal fit for this team, I, especially I, with the lotto line together and you slot him in on that second line. Like with his two-way ability, I think that is an ideal fit. As you said, the power play utility as well. I still can't quite get there as a pure rental giving up that kind of cost. If Tampa Bay decided to sell, Mm -hmm. okay? Tampa Bay decides to sell, and they make Anthony Sorelli available. Let's go. Now that's net. Then you start emptying the chamber. Then you start throwing everything in for a guy who's that good and fits that well with what this team needs in that second line center spot. What about Seattle? Yan Gord. Yan Gord doesn't rise to that level where this year and next. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you do Lekaramaki or Verlander for that. I like Yan Gord, but what is he? He's thirty-two. He's a top line caliber player. He is sick, man. Is he better than Elias Lindholm? He's different. He's different. I think he impacts the game. I th- I think he impacts the game more. Five on five. I think he's going to produce a lot less, but that's okay if you're the Canucks. I. Oof. That's a tough one. Right. I'm. They're all going to be tough ones. I'm not. I'm not asking you easy ones. That would be bad radio. <laughs> Just feeding me layups. Uh, Yoel Eriksson-Ek. Oh come on. You got like that. That is the guy that you you go all out for. I don't think he's going to be available. No, me neither. But if he is, if there's any glimmer of hope that he's out there, I mean, I don't think you can find uh, – because what I've been thinking, I think I've said this before, is what they what you really want to do is like the JT Miller trade again, but in season. You know what I mean? Find the guy under contract on the reasonable number. JT was 25 when they traded for him. Positional versatility, all of those things. Like Joel Erickson X comes the closest to checking all of those boxes out there. All right, ready? Here's a tough one. All right, let's do it. Evgeny Kuznetsov 
No, zero. But, what but are we talking about? But you're giving up Kuzmenko, and they're retaining, so it's cap neutral this year and next. If that, if those are the only pieces you trade? Oh, no, no. You're obviously also giving a first. Kuznetsov is washed, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's completely washed. But, I mean, maybe, maybe you know... <laughs> But what this question presupposes is maybe he isn't. It's like no, he well, is. just like just like I don't know. Washington's so weird, you know. Like I just don't. I think that's like the exact opposite archetype of what that they want. should be going for. You know what I mean? Like aging guy who's made his bones on offense but is not really good offensively anymore. It's like no, thank you. Not interested. Not interested. Fair. All right, uh, we will wrap it up for the weekend. Thanks for texting in. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the Leafs and the Canucks tomorrow on Hockey Day in Canada. We are back on Monday for more. Uh, You've got it right here on Sportsnet 650.